Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Thanksgiving edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael. We're recording this right before Thanksgiving. Uh, weekend was a little crazy. I had my trip out to um, SeaWorld in San Diego and had a really good time. We're going to have a, a little bit of video and some pictures up from our holiday coverage, so I wanted to thank them all for having us out there. And, of course, if you're not familiar with us, you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, pop culture, and more. For those of you who would like something more traditional, we have a quarterly magazine that um, will have the next issue out in mid-December, and that is available at Barnes & Noble and several other outlets to and review the magazine. You can go to Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, and see our reviews of games in the network of papers, uh, 21 currently uh, at last count that uh, handle our game reviews. And, of course, each week I'm on PGA Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM, and we put the simulcast on the page on Friday. We were also on Sci-Fi Radio, lots of uh, syndicated, so you can always just check us. Student reviews, very easy way to look us up, and of course, there's all our social medias. So uh, today we have three big topics. I just did want to make sure to mention our 2022 holiday gift guide is out, and it's live on the page at sknr.net, and these are our uh, gaming, uh, excuse me, our gift-giving suggestions. We will be adding to the online one, and then of course we have a print version coming very soon. So guys, the first topic I wanted to discuss uh, literally came out today, and that is the pending release of the Callisto Protocol. Now, for those of you that are not aware, the Callisto Protocol was a game that was hyped and teased and then went pretty quiet for a long time. And then shortly thereafter, uh, after a long hiatus, a reboot of Dead Space was announced. Now, uh, it's important to know that the Callisto Protocol is made up from people who worked on the original Dead Space um, series of games. And a lot of people, when they saw the trailer, saw similarities like the health meter, the third-person perspective. And it is indeed a uh, survival horror game set on essentially a prison break. And it's got all these brutal deaths possible, as anybody who's played Dead Space knows you will die often and quite gruesomely. Well, today we find out that the single-play game uh, apparently has some of the more gruesome death animations locked behind a paywall. So if you want to see essentially the uncensored, full-on uh, graphicness of the game, you got to pay extra beyond the $59.99 to $69.99 uh, release price and buy the season pass. So uh, needless to say, there's been a lot of outrage on this through gamers. I've seen several publications going, this is absolutely ridiculous. Um, Michael, uh, why don't you start us off? What do you think? Yeah, there's actually been an update to this. Um, Glenn Schofield sent out a tweet a couple hours ago saying that this is the new deaths he's talking about are for the new uh, DLC that'll be coming out. It's not related to the main game, and it's not even in the works yet. So there was, I guess, a lot of hype built up over a misunderstanding with what was said. Um, so right now what they're saying is these are going to be brand new deaths that haven't been created yet as part of the DLC. And if you want the DLC... Um, by the season pass, you'll get the new deaths for the DLC. But as far as the main single-player game, um, they're not; these are not going to be part of that. These are going to be part of the new um, death modes, the Contagion Bundle and Riot Bundle. They're going to come part of the DLC. 
So it looks like there was a lot of um, hoopla over some misunderstanding that was said earlier. Well, that's good to know because uh, I, I just I shudder to think about what this could potentially mean because people forget Dead Space 3 was essentially killed by what many believe was a pay-to-play model in that A, they put in co-op, which I didn't necessarily have a problem with because you could play it as a single-play game, but there were a lot of, um, it wasn't DLC, but uh, paid enhancements and perks that were available, and there were a lot of people that said it was essentially a pay-to-win game because it was very difficult uh, for some to complete the game without some of these enhancements. So good yeah, to see. And I can, yeah, and I can follow, I can read the tweet. What he said is, to be clear, we're not holding anything back for the main game for the season pass. We haven't even started working on the content yet. It's all new stuff that we'll be working on in the new year. Fans have asked for even more deaths, so we're making it a priority next year. Okay. So well, it won't be related to the main game. It won't be related to the story parts of the DLC. It'll only be related to uh, the special... Um, I guess special game modes that will be available once the DLC hits the hits the scene. Well, that's very good because I mean, to me, that was there's a lot of hype and anticipation about this game, and to do so, you know, if this had been the case, to do something this close to launch, that's pretty scary. And then what's really sad is, as we saw, this this has gone out and this has spread all over the internet, and you think about it people are not really going to be paying a lot of attention to gaming news Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, because of, you know, let's be honest, we've got football, we've got people in town, you've got Black Friday, you've got all of the things going on, and then, oh yeah, um, guess what? It's going to be out next week, so, <laughs> you know, you might have people who are sitting on a fence right now who aren't in possession, like I said. You just saw that tweet up until you saw that thing. Uh, there was nothing. It was all the news story out there. This thing's going to be behind a paywall. This is going to be this. I'm looking on N4G right now, and there are stories that were just put up within, oh, what, the last half an hour talking about this stuff. So, you know, this yeah, is... Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate because all this started because of what their steam page said so there was no confirmation of this done uh people just uh, vgc apparently reported it they saw the steam page update ran with it then everybody jumped on the bandwagon so there was not any confirmation of anything about this before it went viral um, and that's yeah and that's like, part of the problem right with, with when when you're just looking at something that's updated on a steam page reading a fact baby or reading um Again, a lot of those things aren't meant to be. They're not news releases. They're they're updates, you know, for the, the page to be referred to once the other stuff goes live. Um, probably something that they should have handled better on their PR side, and not put something up that was going to frighten people. But at the same time, I think um, I think that's part of the problem where where a lot of these uh, a lot of folks kind of take what they see for granted and don't necessarily verify facts it's the world we live in anymore right um so i think that's what kind of got this ball rolling which is really unfortunate because i think it gave them a lot of negative press um that wasn't needed um sounds like they did some damage control but probably weren't uh, expecting to do a lot of work the day before thanksgiving so it probably would have uh, been a better time to not not post that to the steam page until they were able to really 
uh, release the information. So, so good news that it's not as bad as everybody feared. It's just unfortunate how it kind of got out there and what damage control will need to be done now. Absolutely. Justin, did you have something that you wanted to uh, add to this? Yeah, so this, you know, this whole event kind of highlights how important, you know, communication is. And it is extremely unfortunate, I think, that, uh, you know, a story like this is totally out of their control. Um, You know, like Michael just pointed out, it was basically one of those situations where information was uh, misinterpreted. And then, um, you know, I, I hate to be cynical, but sometimes... Some some people sort of want to, or I shouldn't say some people, some organizations want to be like the first on a on a big story, right? So if they can, you know, interpret it, uh, it you know, if they if they basically they feel like they got you know the scoop and they want to be the first to the story, it might not be accurate, <laughs> you know, as one of those things where this would have been very important to verify first before, um, you know, you know maybe. verifying with the developer first that this is actually what what they were going with you know versus like oh you know this is what it looks like and then you know it just kind of spirals out of control from there um you know and this is like one of those situations that kind of highlights why it's so important you know at least for me personally to always kind of like stay stay kind of on the sidelines um you know until uh until more information comes out because um you know that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of situations like this where a story might seem one way at first and then uh once more information comes out then you know there's it, it's more complicated or there's more context you know it, even with DLC I've always been very apprehensive about um you know uh really coming down on it until I have a very full picture because even if uh even if they were doing this I think there's still would be a lot of context missing um, as to like exactly how many animations are, are locked behind paywall or, you know, um, you know, what's the nature of like, what, what am I buying? What does the base game have? And what, what does the, the extra content have in it? Um, you know, cause there's, there's a lot of precedence for, you know, even successful games doing similar things to this, to, to what, the, what was being alleged, um, you know, just off the top of my head, you know, Total War Warhammer has done this three times now where they release their game and then, you know, if you want blood in the game, it's actually a, a paid DLC. Uh, um, and, you know, it was semi-controversial for, for the game. Um, but, uh, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, they were able to kind of get around it um, and uh, with the right messaging and, and communication that, it you know, they, they ended up, you know, being okay. But... Um, yeah, I know it's it's definitely good to hear that this is you know extra content that they're uh, going to be working on in the future, um, and I won't affect the base game. So that that's definitely a good sign. Um, you know, it's I, I I wonder if some of this is a kind of holdover of you know the 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 memory the bad memories of um, some of some of the shenanigans around, especially Dead Space Three. I think Gareth, you definitely highlighted that very well. That. Dead Space 3 um, was sort of mired in a lot of issues like this. Um, different uh, content being locked behind paywalls, um, you know, game decisions that were sort of made by the publisher. So EA instead of um, um, Visceral Games. So I, I think, you know, I wonder if, you know, this being a Dead Space-like game, I wonder if 
yeah, ears were perked up a little bit more to like look out for something like this, uh, and maybe that kind of had uh, had an effect on it. Absolutely. I mean, to be fair, they they have updated the articles with the correct information, even the original one. Uh, but again, that kind of there's going to be a lot of folks that are going to run with what they read initially. I mean, even we kind of were um, speaking about that before we got the full story. Um, so so I mean, you can look at it two ways. One is it does give a lot of extra free publicity to the game, I guess. Um, but 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 it is good to see that a lot of these articles, the original one that was released, has been an updated headline that refers to the DLC and, and that sort of thing, and the multiple and the um, the new mission parts that come out of that. So yeah, I mean at least again, at least it's at least it's been something that's been you know adjusted, and hopefully it doesn't impact the game sales too much. Absolutely, and I think what's really interesting about this too is look what day it is. Uh, for those, you know, again, who didn't catch the beginning part, we, this is the day before Thanksgiving here in North America. A lot of people are off today. I can tell you that the majority of publicists are off today. So when something like this gets out and somebody runs with it, there's not a lot of people on hand to be verifying. In fact, I can tell you that for the most part, you will not see too many publicists uh, doing their job until next week i you know case in point we sent out the gift guide links to the online this morning i heard from maybe six of them and i'm pretty confident that all of them were working from home and it was just a matter of checking emails and because they knew who i was they decided to have a look at it or you know so on and so forth but you know this could have been a disaster where i could see them you're not going to call people back into work uh tomorrow and over the weekend to deal with this but at the same time I could see some frustrated publicists potentially drafting emails while at home around everything they're trying to do, because just imagine what this could have gone to had it run until uh, Monday. And thankfully, you know, dual-edged sword of social media, it allowed a rumor to spread like wildfire, but it also allowed the people in the know to get a hold of the information and to uh, be able to correct it accordingly. And that's why it's always, you know, very important. We report the news as we hear it. But, you know, if it's not confirmed, that's why you always try to say, you know, as reported, so on and so forth. But let's just say, uh, thank goodness that it looks like uh, common sense has prevailed on this. Moving on to the next topic, uh, James Cameron recently was speaking about Avatar, The Way of Water which is scheduled to come out on December 16th. And it got a little bit of a boost today when it was announced that the film will be opening in China. Now, Western films are very limited over in China, and lately a lot of films have not been able to open there. You look at Marvel, used to have a pretty good path in China, not so much anymore due to some of the content that's been put in the film. Uh, and combined with the fact that James Cameron has said they've got to make about $2 billion in order for this thing to start being profitable due to the huge cost behind it, uh, that's a huge plus getting China. Justin, your take on this. What do you think about the $2 billion price tag, uh, and what do you think about its prospects now that China's in the picture? Yeah, so that's um, that's it's going to be really interesting to watch this one. Um, because I, I think it's something I've mentioned a couple times uh, over the last few episodes that, uh, um, it's really hard to predict these days, 
uh, how well a movie is going to do. Because it seems like the range of, of possible outcomes is much larger than it used to be. Um, you know, pre, pre-COVID, you, you could, you know, you basically before a movie came, uh, came out, you can kind of like reasonably guess um, pretty close, like a ballpark estimate of how well it was going to do on the at the box office. You just kind of look at the movie, you know, who's been ma- who was making it, um, what the kind of movie it was, the, the time, you know, when it's being released, what it's going up against, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And all those factors are still there, but it seems like audiences are much um, have a much wider uh, range of behaviors when it comes to movies. And uh, you know, obviously, we've mentioned many times before. Uh, streaming services, um, you know, are a huge part of this. You know, there's certain movies where people it might release in theaters, and they might look at it and say, "Oh, yeah, that seems like a movie I can wait for." Um, you know, versus, uh, or or maybe this is a movie I'll go watch on streaming if it's already on streaming, and so on and so forth. And obviously, Avatar isn't isn't that case, but I bring all this up because it's it's hard to. I mean, obviously, it's going to do well. It's going to do exceptionally well. I think that that's already in the cards. Is it going to hit the two billion dollar mark? Um, that um, that I'm not sure, but with China in the mix, I think that's reasonably likely. Um, because if I remember correctly, the numbers for Avatar in China, Avatar the first one, uh, were exceptionally good. Um, it is a little bit uh, interesting that he said that it had to make. 2 billion to be profitable. Um I wonder if that sort of includes but the, my first sort of initial impression of him saying that uh was I wonder if that sort of includes all of the work that's been done on um the subsequent movie movies movie. Um it's kind of unclear at this point how many avatar movies are in development, but um it does seem like uh that that's 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 a pretty high bar to reach just to become profitable. Um, you know, and I, I just pulled up no way home, which did exceptionally well worldwide did 1.9, uh, billion. So almost, almost 2 billion. So it'd have to do a little bit better than Spider-Man no way home. I think that's definitely possible. Uh, I think it's probably going to get at least close to that. Um, but uh, with China in the mix, you know, I, th- I definitely think that's in the cards. Yeah, it definitely makes you wonder. And I, when I heard that number two, Justin, I thought that was probably factoring in the work that's been done on three because, you know, the rule of thumb is three times, uh, two to three times what your cost, what your, you know, anticipated production budget is. So let's say, let's be absolutely insane and say $400 million. That's $1.2 billion. So I look at it and say, okay, anything over one five, you're probably good. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just crazy to even think about those kind of numbers, but, oh, Michael, do you have a comment on that one? Yeah. So I think obviously the China thing is going to help. And it's amazing that, um, no way home actually made 1.9 billion given the pandemic that was still kind of going on then at the time. So it does, seem a lot more realistic. The one thing, though, about China, I know this made the news a week or two ago, is that they're still very lockdown heavy if they encounter um, COVID variants that are starting to spread. 
Uh, not so much anywhere else, but, but China tends to be that way. Um, I don't know by the time the movie releases if that's going to still be a factor. Um, but what we have seen is that it can be a factor which can drag down the box office depending on where the location is and what's going on. So um, obviously releasing in China is, is huge. Again, I think it's one of, it's the biggest market or, or, or something for, um, for movies. Um, as long as there's not uh, other factors that might impact its ability to have the outreach uh, that it expects to have. So, um, again, I, I think, uh, again, Avatar, if the sequel carries the kind of excitement that the original Avatar did, um, I, I think that's a real possibility. I just don't know, and again, Avatar you know, might, might do great uh, overseas and might do, is going to likely do good in the U.S. I just don't know if Avatar 2 will, will have the draw power that a Spider-Man and if a Spider-Man movie made 1.9 billion worldwide, it, you know, it's it's obviously feasible that it could. I, I just I just think Spider-Man has a, a bit more universal appeal than the Avatar movies. And, and don't get me wrong, the Avatar I, I loved the first Avatar movie. I thought it was great. Um, you know, but but at the same time, I I again like with a lot of sequels, um, you know, some with some exceptions, they don't necessarily always tend to be as good. And a lot of the hype and excitement around the first Avatar was the reintroduction of 3D into the movies. And yes, I understand there's new 3D technology for Avatar 2, um, which will make it, you know, a, a more stunning appeal. But again, there's still a lot of people that are going to look at 3D that, the way they did with the initial one, and it's not going to be a big draw for them. So so I don't know. It's, it'll be something that's going to be interesting to wait and see how it goes. I'm excited to see it. I definitely want to see it. I just don't know if it's going to have the pull that a Spider-Man would have. The big advantage it has is it's going to have curiosity. It's coming out at the holidays, and like you said, it has very little competition for, I think, the better part of a month um, before anything even remotely comes out. And I'm trying to think if the January releases or even anything huge it might actually go into february and so you know th this kind of makes me think and i know we're talking two entirely different things here but um if you remember let's look at the last star wars film and we had all these people saying oh these things suck they're horrible and they're oh i didn't like how this ended and so on and so forth still made well over a billion dollars and a big chunk of that was the fact that from uh, late December when it came out until early January, they had no sizable competition. So they were able to just continually week in and week out make the money. Um, you know, I'm looking at the January releases. Well, there's the horror film, Megan. Okay, great. That's going to get some uh, people in there for, comp you know, for counter-programming and out of curiosity. It looks interesting. But... Uh, the majority of the films, I don't see, you know, truthfully, this is going to sound really crazy, but the one that I see actually potentially be in a box office uh, potential issue is uh, Magic Mike's Last Dance. The, you know, people can laugh all they want, but those Magic Mike movies made a lot of money. And I could see that doing some, and, you know, obviously by this point, you're almost two months in. And then you've got Ant-Man in February, so right around 
um, what is it, uh, Valentine's Day. So right now, off the top of my head, I'm not seeing any real competition until about uh, the second week of February. And then, of course, it gets a little crazy because you also have, in addition to Ant-Man, you have Creed 3 and the next Scream movie and Shazam and John Wick all you know, coming out in February and March, Dungeons and Dragons. And we already know that next summer is going to be crazy, but let's be honest, it's not even going to be an issue by that point. But we also have to factor in that um, there are the other things to look at, such as pay-per-view. You know, is it going to go to a pay uh, video on demand before it goes to Disney Plus or Hulu? I think that's extremely likely because they will want to be, uh, you know, trying to ca uh, capitalize as much as they potentially can. So pretty crazy. Another thing I wanted to mention, you know, since we're talking box office, Michael saw the movie she said about the Harvey Weinstein uh, fall from grace, the harassment and uh, various issues, the people who broke the story, so on and so forth. It had the lowest box office opening ever of a major release from a studio and uh, this was all even with good press and oscar buzz around it and so this has created a big you know flurry in the entertainment industry because they're saying well gee you know what's going on with the box office um people aren't going to this thing people aren't going to this and so i, I thought it'd be a great one to look at because i my take on it is this we're still dealing with a pandemic. We may, you know, hopefully the worst of it's over, but there are still six new variants out there. But we're in better shape now than we were a couple of years ago. I think people are still somewhat hesitant about going to the box office and going to the movies for numbers of reasons. You could have issues with COVID. You could have issues with financials. You could have issues with the fact that some of these films are coming out on video and I mean on streaming services within like 30 days to seven weeks. And then on top of it, I think this is the really big thing that people are forgetting. Look at what has done well at the box office. Marvel, Jurassic World, Spider-Man, which again, a Marvel film, but it was done by Sony. People want escapist entertainment. They do not want dour dramas about real-life incidents that they could see on television. There was a time when that was appealing, but right now, when some places with surge pricing, when you're looking at $15 to go see a matinee, uh, people are going to look at it and say, okay, well, gee, let's see. I can go watch uh, Wakanda Forever, or I can go and watch this film about Weinstein, which we all know where it's going to go, or I could just wait 30 days and watch it on a streaming service, seven weeks at the outside uh so let's start with michael since you actually saw it uh what's your take on that theory and the whole situation so, yeah so first of all i will say the movie was phenomenal um it definitely deserves its oscar buzz um the portrayals were fantastic uh the story moved along really well um probably could probably be best drama i've seen this year and probably in the past several years that being said I, I agree that that a this is a fairly recent storyline, and the news covered it so much um, when it occurred that I think a lot of people are just over it. And and that's not to say 
that there isn't a place for these types of movies. I mean, when we when you go to the movie, um, I think in my review I said it wasn't Hollywooded up, and that's what I, I told the screeners as well. And what I meant by that is it, it looks like you're, you're watching the story unfold. It, it looks like a news, an actual news drama. I wouldn't say documentary because that's not really the, the type of film that it is. Um, it doesn't feature, like, you know, people talking about what happened, that sort of thing. But it almost has that, that kind of feel like you're kind of in the moment with them doing the investigation. And I think part of if I think I think you're right. I think escapism right now is what people are looking for as the movies, particularly with inflation right now, the economy in general. Um, and, and people, you know, they're, they're not they don't have the disposable income to just go see um, a movie that isn't necessarily an escape type movie. I mean, that's the difference between seeing a movie like Top Gun versus seeing this type of movie. You know, again, I don't, I don't even know that dramas in general are doing as well as their action counterparts are these days. And the other thing about this also is it just wasn't advertised well at all. Um, I saw very, very little advertising on it. Um, I was familiar with what the movie was. Um, but, but to be honest, even, even I, my wife and I weren't even all that excited to see it, I, I thought it would be an interesting movie because I, I again I didn't I knew about the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Obviously, it was all over the news. We all followed it, but I didn't follow the the individuals who broke the story and what led up to the story um, and, and that sort of thing, right? So there's a lot of a lot of that sort of thing, the interactions with um, the characters. Uh, that being said, it also doesn't have what I would consider A-list draws. Um, don't get me wrong. The actresses that portrayed the parts were phenomenal. Um, Ashley Judd is in it portraying herself. Um, so there are. So there. There's nothing to say about the, the characters or the actresses or or those who were involved in the movie. But it didn't have the A-list names that are popular right now um, that might draw people to the movie just because they're familiar with the names of the actors that are in it, um, which I think is also part of the issue, which is which is unfortunate because we've also talked in the past about movies where they they pick the it actors have the time and they don't fit the role that they're in, which makes the movie <laughs> not good to, to put it mildly. They don't match the, they don't match the, the, uh, how you envision the character, uh, the characters themselves just don't, aren't what, what portrayed the way they should be, that sort of thing. So I think from a casting perspective, I absolutely think the movie will be up for, um, nominations. I think the, the, um, the folks, the actresses in, in the movie will likely be up for nominations as well. It is definitely an Oscar-type movie, but again, not necessarily a movie that's going to bring in lots of money. And, and again, maybe back, you know, 10 years ago, um, when, when these types of movies were a little bit more popular, when going to the theater cost like six, to, six bucks for a matinee, um, and other stuff wasn't going on, it, it would have had a draw, you know, what do you do for a, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, we go to a movie for $6.00. Now when it's costing you fifteen dollars and you got other things to do, um, it's just hard for that kind of movie to bring a draw. Absolutely, Justin, your take? Yeah, I definitely. Um, Michael hit on pretty much all the big points. Um, the the thing that kind of like it went in my mind. It's kind of occurred to me, and I think this is kind of just my own personal experience. Um, but I wonder if it sort of extrapolates out to others as well, and that you know. 
pre-COVID, like I, I went to the movies a lot, you know, it was like kind of a regular thing. I, le- I probably at least once a month, um, you know, uh, during like the, the season when you, when you have a lot of blockbusters, it'd probably be like you know, sometimes every week, like, yeah, there'd be like one, one after another that you'd go see. And, you know, I, uh, I'd even go for a lot of those kind of like Oscar type movies, like in the fall, which, you know, typically is kind of when, a lot of these types of movies get released, like the dramas, like the big ones that get a ton of praise. I'd go, I'd go see those. I'd, I'd even go see kind of the the, the ones that, um, you know, it. January to February and March, um, not a great uh, three month uh, season for for releasing movies in theaters. But I, you know, I'd go see movies then too. It was like kind of just a regular thing, um, but when the pandemic happened. Um, it's one of those, you know, you kind of just sort of shift, like, you know, something that was once part like a normal part of your life, like, you know, eating a, a certain type of meal that was just kind of like normal. Um, but you just suddenly cut it out of your diet. It's, uh, you know, eventually you just sort of adapt around not having it anymore. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like that myself. I, you know, this is just speculation, but I wonder if, you know, others out there are like that too, where, it's just not a regular uh, thing that's just factored in anymore. Uh, obviously, people are going for the big spectacle movies, and I'm like that too, where there's certain movies like Top Gun, uh, maybe like a Christopher Nolan movie, um, you know, stuff like that, that will like absolutely get me in a theater seat because, you know, there's still that allure of seeing a movie um, on the big screen with the, um, you know, in the theater uh, with the uh, with the audio, you know, th- th- that you can't get at home, uh, you know, so it's I think there's obviously still a draw like certain movies. There's still a draw for that experience. But uh, I'm going to be honest, like there's just not a ton of movies anymore where, um, you know, it, it where it, where it will get me in the theater seat. And I think this is definitely one of those where um you know, the way I kind of look at it is why, what, what does the theater experience add for this movie in particular that, uh, just seeing at home, um, you know, when it comes out on, on a streaming service, uh, doesn't, you know, this kind of goes back to something I mentioned in the previous segment that I think, you know, I think a lot of people are sort of making that calculation now where when they're looking at a movie, um, they're sort of calculating, oh, you know, can I watch this on a streaming service that's, you know, that I already pay for, or, um do i want to spend the time and and the kind of increased cost uh for getting a ticket uh and all of the the other items that go with going to the movies um you know to go see it in a theater and what's interesting is if you look at next year's box office it is absolutely loaded with uh potential blockbusters i mean i was looking at it, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but just to, to give you like an idea, they're starting off in, we already talked about the February releases, but I mean, March, Creed, Creed 3, Scream 6, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, John Wick 4, all potential big hits, Dungeons and Dragons, well, we'll see. And this is not even counting some of the, you know, the more standalone things that may or may not be hits. Super Mario Brothers movie, Evil Dead Rise, uh, um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Fast and Furious 10, The Little Mermaid, 
Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And these are literally, some of these are, I expect, some kind of shakeup because some of these are literally one week right after the other. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Transformers Rise of the Beast, The Flash, Indiana Jones 5, um, let's see, New Insidious Film, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, uh, Oppenheimer, Barbie, Marvel, The Marvels, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Meg 2, Haunted Mansion, Gran Turismo, The Blue Beetle, Equalizer 3, The Expendables 4, and that's not even counting the untitled, the unreleased, uh, I mean, the unscheduled ones, like Craven the Hunter, uh, Saw 10, Dune Part 2, The Hunger Games, Ballads of Songbirds, Trolls 3, Willy Wonka, New Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel, and the Aquaman of the Lost Kingdom sequel. So you can bet the box office, and that's just, you know, doesn't even count the stuff that we haven't really heard about yet. But it's so funny if you, you know, I'm getting near the time of year where I'm going to have to start voting for my end of the year awards soon. And it's really funny when you look at the box office. Top, these were the top U.S. grosses last year. Top Gun Maverick, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Jurassic World Dominion, Minions Rise of Gru, The Batman, Thor Love and Thunder, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and then Black Adam. And then right below that, you had Elvis and Uncharted. Nope. And uh, even though it was a box office disappointment, Lightyear, The Lost City, Smile, and Bullet Train. Those are all the ones that made over $100 million. But what do you see there? Every single one of them is basically either an animated family film or an action-oriented superhero slash uh, special effects event movie, as it were. And it just comes back to what we've been saying. People will go see the big event film up on the big screen with the big sound system. But if it's a more casual thing, they're just going to sit and wait. It's very crazy. But it will be interesting to see next year because, you know, based on these current numbers, if they cram that many films back in the theater, the odds are something might get lost in the shuffle. But I, for one, certainly love the options that are being presented. So... Hopefully, you know, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm curious to see how Disney's Strange World is going to go over. I was, uh, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I was just thought, you know, there were parts of it I thought were, were enjoyable. I thought there were parts of it that dragged. Um, I certainly wouldn't mind seeing a sequel to see where they go with it. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, you know, didn't have the singing and dancing. And I don't think it's going to have the charm that Encanto did. Uh, but it will, you know, it is, it is what it is for people that need a alternate to Wakanda Forever. So it'll be curious. Uh, Marvel back in the news, Blade, uh, which recently uh, made some news when the director um, Basim Tariq left in September, citing the ever popular creative differences. We also heard stories that Marshawn Ali was not impressed with the script. Uh, apparently. Only had a couple of action scenes in it, and he wanted something more. Uh, now we've had uh, news that it's going to be resuming filming, uh, well, starting filming, uh, in Atlanta under director Jan Demange, who directed the pilot episode for Lovecraft Country. And we've also been told that a dark and gritty in tone will definitely fall on the edgier side of Marvel and be closer in tone to the original Wesley Snipes movies, Michael Starsbury 
has been hired to write a brand new script. So, uh, Justin, what do you think? Yeah, so, um, you know, this isn't without precedent, but even with, within Marvel, uh, there's been you know several cases of uh, movies that really kind of got a reboot, like during during production. They always seem to uh, always find a way to settle on something that something that works. So, uh, you know, it does go to show that their producers there, Kevin Feige, is really good at, um, you know, making sure that all of their movies kind of meet a, a, a baseline standard. Um, and if something's not working out during production, then um, uh, they, they will they will absolutely uh, do whatever it takes to to make sure it does. So uh, I I have no doubt that it's going to to shape up nicely. Um, and uh, you know it, it it is a good sign that it um that it, what what they're saying about the direction sounds pretty good. And uh, Michael, your take, please. Yeah, I mean that is one thing we can say about the Marvel franchise in general is they have kind of set a quality standard and while some of the movies may not quite live up to some others generally speaking they won't go forward if they think it's going to be a, a dud which i think is good i mean we we are all familiar with how the batman franchise in the 90s went from excellent to horrible um so i think it's good that marvel kind of keeps a, a tight rein on that um and i think it kind of gives you a, a level of satisfaction uh, going forward when you go to see the movies. I think the DC movies could do a better job of that still. Um, they're kind of hit, hit or miss, but from a Marvel perspective, I think they take a lot of pride in that brand and they're very um, particular about what gets branded with that um, and what gets released with that. I, I would think worst case, if for some reason the movie or a movie bearing the Marvel franchise didn't live up to the quality standards that they might have and that would probably be a release to Disney Plus kind of thing. Um, but it's, uh, I, you know, I'm excited for Blade. It's, it's one of those movies that um, I like the Wesley Snipes um, series, uh, the first one in particular. Um, but And, you know, I think it's one of those ones that really does need a reboot and is actually one that has a really interesting backstory and a lot of directions it can go in. So I hope they really take advantage of that and come up with a script and everything that really um, will live up to the standards that we've gotten with the other Marvel movies. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the script, and I just looked up Michael Starbury, the writer. Interesting uh, guy. He seems to be one of these people. He's not done a lot of stuff. Uh, he's done, essentially, he has one credit directing a short. He has four credits as a producer, one credit as an actor. But his essential writing thing is he's written two shorts. He wrote a TV movie in 2011 called Blackjack, a movie called The Inevitable Defeat of Mr. and Pete in 2013. But then he created a TV series called The Legend of Chamberlain Heights, and it ran 20 episodes in 2016 to 2017. He wrote two of those. He did a teleplay for a TV miniseries, When They See Us, and then also the... Uh, TV miniseries in uh, 20, let me say, excuse me, in uh, 2021, Colin in Black and White. Now, I find it interesting because if you look at his career, he has a, you know, he has like a credit, and then you don't see anything for three years. He has another credit, nothing for two years, and then there's a gap from 2019 to 2024 when he last did his thing. And to me, this is actually really interesting 
because to me it shows this is a guy who is definitely emerging. You know, he he hasn't done anything massive yet, but if you look at the trajectory, you know, 2019, 2021, he's had productions uh, that were starting to get him attention, starting to get him noticed. And I think obviously what he did with uh, Chamberlain Heights, when they see us and call in in black and white was definitely more than enough. And that's exciting because I think it is going to be really interesting to have someone with uh, a potential fresh take who has not been churning out the, you know, typical Hollywood blockbusters and such. Now, how that's going to, you know, vibe with the studio. Is this going to be, here's the script and now we're going to have someone go in and, and rewrite it. Who knows? But I, I think, you know, he probably had to pitch a pretty impressive take in order to get the job. And it will be interesting to see where they go with that. Now, speaking of getting the job, we cannot conclude the show this week without discussing the uh, shocking news that came down at Disney where uh, CEO Bob Chipek who was very unpopular with apparently staff, with fans over a lot of moves that were seen as being uh, removing the magic from Disney, especially the parks, and um, you know potentially alienating uh, the consumer base, so on and so forth. Despite recently getting a three-year contract extension from the board, he was very quickly removed after the last earnings call showed uh, significant losses on the direct-to-consumer side of things, meaning Disney Plus, so on and so forth, because the interesting uh, twist of essentially we're gaining subscribers at a record number, but they were losing large amounts of money. He said it was going to be 2024 uh, until this profitability shook out, and apparently between that and various other incidents, which are starting to be rumored and coming to light, uh, they made a change. And uh, Bob Iger, who uh, saw 15 fantastic years at Disney, including expansion of the parks, including the additions of Marvel, Lucasfilm, and the uh, acquisition of the 20th Century Fox titles, is back with a two-year agreement to run the company and groom his successor. Michael, how about you? We'll start. What do you think? Well, I mean, obviously he has a proven track record. He came out of retirement to do this. I mean, there are plenty of op options that they could have gone with. So they really feel he has the vision to kind of train his successor and lead them into the future. So I think it's a good news. Yep. And Justin, your take, please. Uh, so uh, I'm actually going to take a little bit of the dissenting opinion here, or, or at least uh, I, I'm going to... I'm going to be a little bit of a devil's advocate for, for Chepik because um, I do wonder if he was sort of <laughs> kind of set up with a bad situation because um, the way I kind of see it and I, you know, obviously I'm not a business expert, so this is just speculation, but um, and obviously Bob Iger does have a major uh, successful track record, uh, you know, years and years and years of, um, profitability and acquisitions i mean it just under bob Iger alone they got star, uh, star wars marvel um and fox um which are just huge like it disney grew exponentially under bob Iger. but if you look at the kind of the timeline of things bob Iger got out basically at the perfect time um chapik 
kind of got in uh, during a really rough spot. It really wasn't his responsibility or, you know, it wasn't his fault that, um, you know, the pandemic affected pretty much every company uh, across the globe and especially entertainment com- companies. You know, we, we've talked about this many times that a lot of companies that, um, you know, rely on, uh, you know, regular releases of films or, you know, launching a streaming service, uh, you know, that, which is, you know, in both cases, that's Disney was kind of entering a new market, um, with their streaming service, but also, you know, just like every other major, uh, motion picture studio, uh, developing a huge amount of, um, you know, extremely expensive films, but with no real good avenue to release them. Uh, you know, also, you know, the parks themselves, uh, during the pandemic obviously did not have as much nearly as much traffic so chapik had a very difficult job um now is this to say that he was doing a great job with it i'm not really certain but uh i'm just uh i I guess i'm i'm in the camp of i'm i'm not really totally sold that he was doing a bad job i think maybe part of this was he was just kind of set up with a, a really difficult situation I think you're absolutely right because, you know, I, I played the devil's advocate when he came in and started to make moves that were considered to be extremely unpopular. And obviously with what I do, I, you know, in the media, and I'm, I'm not saying I have any inside knowledge or anything. I'm just simply looking at it as to what I think might be a possibility. I'm not saying it is, but the fact of the matter is, he came in, and as you said, he dealt with some very unpopular situations. He had to deal with the parks being closed. He had to deal with the cruise lines not being able to uh, go out and make money. He had to deal with the fact that they could not be releasing the movies that they had. And on top of it, they weren't even able to film. So that meant all their offerings, everything from the television side, like ABC, and uh, the various networks couldn't produce content, which means they could not sell the content. I said at the time when things started to open up and the unpopular moves started to come in, that taking the Disney factor out of it and looking at it from a straight business standpoint, this is one of those situations where someone's got to come in and be the bad guy. They've got to make the moves that are not going to be popular, that are not going to be liked by the fans, but help the bottom line. And essentially, you need the villain in the black hat so you could say, oh, that horrible this and that, and this horrible this and that, this is all his fault. Meanwhile, he's doing exactly what the people wanted. And my whole point on that is, you know, you you look at this situation where He was reportedly booed when he walked on stage at the D23 Expo. There were, I I remember the day that there was the investors call and people were all over the fan groups literally saying, I hope they replace him. I hope they replace him. And they gave him a contract extension. And I said, you have to look at it from a business standpoint. There are things that they can't publicly come out and say, we're going to do this. We want to do this. We want to do this because there'll be backlash it's a lot easier for someone to go out and be the face of those moves that, let's be honest, while not popular with the public, 
have increased the bottom line in many of the other areas. And the whole idea behind it is that person takes the fall and the person that comes in behind them, who is essentially your planned long-term 10, 15 year person, looks like a hero because they're coming in to replace the unpopular person. But if you look very carefully, the new person will make all these changes, but the four things that the unpopular person did that weren't well-received are probably going to stay in place because they're going to say things like, well, they're already in place, or this is it's working better than we expected, we're focusing on new areas, so on and so forth. Now, I think the problem beyond that that Chappick had was that there were these very high-profile public relation blunders, and it was the Scarlett Johansson Black Widow lawsuit. It was the whole issue in Florida over the employees saying you weren't standing up for us and then getting into the tip uh, with, okay, you're being too woke. And then there was the whole issues about uh, apparently he had a, I did not know about this, but the Wall Street Journal uh, ran an article citing that uh, there were people within Pixar. I knew Pixar was not thrilled about some of their films going straight to Disney Plus instead of theaters. But apparently there were those that believed that he was not a fan of the animation and he saw this as something that, quote, adults don't watch Disney animated efforts, according to this uh, Wall Street Journal article. And apparently this uh, did not sit well with Disney, who, let's face it, animation is a cornerstone of their industry uh, going back to 1923. So stretch, stretch forward. Next year, we have Disney's 100th anniversary uh, celebration. We've got the you know exhibits touring the world, so on and so forth. And they were okay with all of this stuff, but it was when they saw the $1.5 billion loss on the video on demand service combined with the negative stuff, everything else, that's when they said he has to go, i.e., we're okay with all this other stuff, but the moment the loss is continued, that's when you, in, in one particular area, let's you know not forget, other sides were profitable, that's when he had to go. So, and, you know, Iger's going to come back, he's going to look like a hero, and then whoever they follow him with, well, that remains to be seen. But uh, before we close out, do either of you have any comments or thoughts about that viewpoint? No, I think you pretty much uh, you pretty much nailed it. Oh, and it's a hard thing to say because, as I said, I I have to deal with uh, I don't have to I choose to I deal with Disney fan groups, but I also deal with the PR side of things. And yeah, I'm all about the magic. We've got a Disney cruise coming up in just a few weeks. Uh, you know, we're regular Disney cruisers. We went to the Oogie Boogie Bash uh, with our granddaughter. Love going to the parks. I love all the Disney stuff. I always, you know, see the movies whenever I can. Love what uh, we get on Disney Plus. I look forward to that. But the thing is, you have to not look at it as a child. As a child, this is a place of absolute magic and wonder where you go in and you forget all the problems of the world and, you know, go wild with it. Your fantasies come to life. Your imagination runs wild. You're a kid at heart. Bottom line, they are still a business. And it is an extremely competitive business now because you have more and more uh, streaming services out there. You have companies 
that are putting more and more money into theme park development and such. Let's not forget the Universal Studios has got the Nintendo World opening next year. You've got reports that they're building a gigantic coaster. Yeah. Is this going to be on the same par as Disney? No, but it is still going to be things that people are going to go and want to see. This is competition. You may still be the top dog. You will continue to be the top dog. But if you're not making the profits that you used to because people are saying, instead of coming back for a second day here, I'm going to go check this out, that's something you have to address. And I think that is, uh, you know, that's the thing that people don't see in this. This is an extremely expensive business. They have had some films not do well. I mean, they took a bath on Lightyear. We talked about Avatar. You know, that's a that's a huge investment out there. We don't know what's going on with Star Wars films. Uh, so, you know, that's unfortunately what happens. And then I, I think the biggest problem is when you're making moves that are not producing the results as fast as they need to be, and worst of all, you've had a negative public perception, that's where it comes in. I You know, I, I do wonder if it was somebody like Iger who had a longer track record who came out and said, yeah, we lost $1.5 billion last quarter, but you know what, 2024, we're going to be absolutely streaming and rolling, and this is why. Probably would have got a pass more than somebody who was not popular and coming off a string of issues. Um, I don't know if you guys heard, too. I, I did want to mention this before we close up. There was, I, I don't have his name off the top of my head, but there was a person at uh, Disney that Iger uh, let go the other day. And many people said that he was essentially Chapek's right-hand man. Some people thought he was a potential successor. And he was a young guy. Um, he was like the head of distribution. And there were a lot of uh, things that I read that he was essentially the one that went to movies like Turning Red, like Luca, like um, Soul, and said, now these aren't going to theaters. These are going straight to the streaming service. And that caused a lot of dissension. And that is also something that apparently uh, Iger did not agree with. He felt that, you know, these films need to be released in the theaters. They need to find their audience and then go to streaming. And, uh, you know, essentially he removed somebody who, A, had a big fundamental um, difference than he did. And also many people say who was... Uh, an eye on the chair and trumpeting the old regime. So interest, interesting, interesting stuff coming up. That's for sure. Well, guys, I think that's going to do it. I want to make sure everybody gets on and has a very happy and healthy uh, Thanksgiving. Enjoy your weekend. Take care. And we'll be back again next week. Until then, be well.